Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up. We're going to start in um, Galatians chapter 6. Read a couple verses, out of, one verse out of Galatians, a verse out of Second Thessalonians, a verse out of Hebrews, and then we're eventually going to make our way over to 1 Samuel chapter 30. But Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 says this. It says, verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Again, Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Turn with me over to Second Thessalonians, the book we're studying uh, in the morning, and we're going to be chapter looking at chapter 3, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, looking at verse 13. This is what Paul says there. It says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. As for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Lastly, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. We've actually looked at this verse a few times in the last few weeks. Hebrews chapter 12. The writer tells us there in verse 3, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For your word, I thank you for tonight. Lord, do thank you for a sweet time of being able to sit at your feet and declare how great you are, because you are a great and awesome God. And yet, Father, in this thing we called Christianity, in this thing we called life, we can grow tired, we can grow weary, we can grow discouraged. And yet, God, I ask and pray if we maybe find ourselves in this place tonight, Would you take your word? Would you allow it to come alive in our hearts and in our lives and do that work to, Lord, help us to not grow weary, to help us not to be discouraged, to help us to not faint in the midst of the battle. So use your word to speak and minister to our hearts as we look to you. And we do thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a few weeks back, I was uh, preparing to minister to uh, my leadership group, the leadership group that helps with the marriage ministry. And I was asking the Lord, Lord, speak to my heart some things to kind of encourage them. And and as I was praying, the Lord brought me not only to these verses, but also to where we're going to be headed, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30. And and God began to speak. And it really, I was kind of uh, amazed because, again, a lot of the people have kind of been there ministering alongside with the marriage ministry for some four, five, six, some seven years And I'm thinking, I'm going, man, seven years, you know, just continuing to go. And yet I love their hearts that they're just willing to go, go, go. And yet I wanted to, in a sense, for myself, I wanted to kind of encourage them to not grow weary in doing good. And yet in the midst of of that, you know, in, in doing that, God began to really speak to my own heart as well. And then Pastor Jeff asked me to share with the staff two days later. And so I kind of, you know 
opened up and, and kind of did this study again. And then he asked me to share tonight. Uh, they're heading up to uh, the Mammoth Lake area to go on a little quick little getaway vacay and stuff. And, and yet the Lord had so ministered to me and used this in my own heart and life. Because, again, I'm not sure where each one of you are at, where each one of us is at. But this one thing I do know, that whether you're a pastor sitting here tonight... Whether you're in leadership sitting here tonight, whether you maybe are just sitting in the pew, maybe you even came in tonight and you're just a seeker, that because of life, because of the things, we can go tired, we can grow weary, we can very easily get discouraged. And what I want to do is I want to look at what it is that really gets us discouraged within life. And two things that I see. The first thing is we oftentimes get discouraged because of the things going on around us. The, the in a sense, the burdens that we bear. You know, I love um, the, the little um, Lord of the Rings thing and little Frodo who his burden was what? Carrying that little ring. And, and you know what? It was a burden that he and he alone was called in a sense to carry. Again, the other guys can come alongside and try to help him, but there are times when we are called to carry something that it is, in a sense, it is for us. And I remember when I was putting this study together, I remember Pastor Jeff was going through something at that time. And I kept praying. I said, Lord, man, I want to take that burden from him because I could tell he was being burdened by something. And I, I want to take that from him. And yet God spoke to my heart and said, Pat, no, no, you know, you can come alongside, you can pray for him, you can try to encourage him. But that is a burden that he is to carry and he alone must carry. And yet what I find is within all of our lives, you may be sitting here today and there may be things going on that you are burdened by. Maybe there's some physical limitations in your life or maybe in someone else's life around you that you're burdened by, you're weighed by, and you're, you're, you're constantly, it's something that is on your heart in your life. Maybe like me, you're in the midst of some uh, family drama that, you know, I wish wasn't there, but it's there and it's part of the burden of things that are going on with your life. Maybe you're being burdened by some physical things or um, some financial things that are there within your heart and your life. And as you're asking, Lord, Lord, okay, how do I do this? How do I navigate this? What do I do with that? You know, sometimes there are things that we kind of take upon ourselves that maybe the Lord hasn't called us to do but in a sense each of one of us is called to carry those the burdens that that are there or to help to navigate those things and what that would look like for each and every one of us but not only do I see there are burdens that we carry in fact when I look at Moses there in Numbers chapter 11 Moses he comes to God and he says, God, if this is the burden that you are wanting me to carry, then you might as well just kill me, take me out, because this is too much for me. And maybe tonight you're kind of in that same place. You know, a couple of weeks ago I was doing music at a funeral and uh, a lady came up to me who I actually helped lead her husband to the Lord some like 37 years ago. And yet she came up to me and she had tears in her eyes and she said, you know what, Pat? I wish it was me that had died instead of her. And you know what? She really meant it because of the things that were going on in her heart, the burden that she was bearing at this this time and all this, and she was just having such a hard time navigating all of that. And I would imagine that even maybe sitting here tonight, you're at that point where you're feeling like, you know what? This burden is just too much. 
And in a sense for her, you know what, again, I I can't say, hey, I know what you're feeling or I know what you're going through because I don't. All I can say is as long as God is giving you breath, he's not done with you. He wants to continue to use your heart, continue to use your life. And yet we all find ourselves there dealing with those, the burdens and, and those kind of things as well. But you know what? Another reason that I, I, I see that we get weary and discouraged is because there's an enemy out there. In fact, uh, the word tells us that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In fact, <laughs> Jesus told Peter, hey, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And there's a battle that's going on for your life. There's a battle that's going on for your soul. In fact, what we read in Deuteronomy where God speaking to his people, he says this, Deuteronomy 25, he says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way. He attacked your rear ranks and all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to come when we're tired, when we're weary and maybe we're kind of dragging behind or we're lagging off and he wants to come and he wants to rip us off and he wants to attack us and and go after us. And yet tonight I want to look at a time in David's life where David in a sense had grown very weary. He had grown very tired. In fact, we're going to find him tonight where he in a sense had kind of left the promised land and he moved in with the enemy. He's over in the enemy camp and that's where he was at for about a year and a half. And we're going to look at his life and where he was so weary, so discouraged, kind of like given up in a sense. And yet we're going to look at how he navigated his life through those things. So turn with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 30. First Samuel chapter 30. And again, let me, let me kind of bring you up to speed on what, what's happening here before we start reading. Again, remember David was this young little shepherd boy. And he was, you know, helping his dad out. His dad told him to go take his brothers there in, in, the, in the army with Saul and go take his brothers some cheese. And he goes up there and it happens to be in the valley of Elah. And here this giant Goliath coming out, this, this champion of the Philistines every day and saying, hey, send me someone to fight with me. And, and he's kind of, you know, defiling the, the armies of God. And David comes up and he hears Goliath doing that. And he goes to Saul and says, hey, I'll go out and I'll go fight that guy and and so they got and if any of you guys went to Israel you know we were there in that valley of Elah in fact I was looking on my um up by my uh, tv there and I have uh, the rock that I got you know we all went down into the brook and everyone's gathering the rocks you know thinking and it's funny because all the guys were gathering really big rocks you know and you know ladies were gathering the really pretty ones and stuff like that but we, we were there in that valley but then David goes out he gathers five smooth stones he goes out and he kills Goliath then he runs over takes his own sword out chops off his head and the rest of the battle David's running around with the head of Goliath in one hand and the sword of Goliath in the other and yet then David takes a sword dedicates it to the Lord the priests take it but then David begins fighting Saul's battles for him and he becomes you know kind of the 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 champion of Israel and everyone's praising and making songs and singing songs about what a great guy David is well Saul becomes you know he becomes jealous But as well, he also gives him his daughter to marry. And so David, in a sense, becomes the king's daughter-in-law. He's got it all, living in the palace, the king's daughter-in-law. But then 
Saul starts kind of going through this thing where he's all jealous and he's mad and he decides he's going to try to kill David. Well, for the next 10 years of David's life, David is fleeing from Saul. He's running. In fact, he says that I was one step away from death and he's running. He's fleeing from Saul. And and he finally decides after 10 years, man, I'm giving up. I'm going to go move in with the Philistines because Saul will quit coming after me. So he decides to go in and he goes to what city? He goes to Gath. That's where Goliath was from. And he aligns himself with the king of Gath, with Asius there. And then, you know, and he goes and he gives him the city called Ziklag. And then David spends the next year and a half, in a sense, having to deceive and lie. And again, for all of us, that oftentimes is where we go when we're drifting, when we're out of God's purpose, out of God's plan, and we're kind of in the back in a place where the enemy can come and, and to rip us off. And here we see David in that place, even so much so where they're going to go out to battle against Saul in Israel. And David, you know, puts on his sword and goes and joins Achish. And they're going to go off and fight against Saul, against his brethren. And yet the the princes of the Philistine, they say, what are these Jews? What are these Israelites doing here among us? Man, get them out of here. Send them on their way home. And so they stop and they kind of, okay, we can't go. And then they, they wander back home. And this is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30. It tells us now it happened when David and his men had came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those that were there from small to great. And they did not kill anyone but carried them away and they went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. Their wives, their son, their daughters had been taken captive. So David, they come back. They see the city burned with fire. They know if, if they had killed them, they would have left their bodies there. But so obviously they feel like they're, they're, not, they're not dead, but they don't know exactly what's all going on. But it tells us that the, when they got there, it was the Amalekites that invaded. Now, the Amalekites are just kind of a quite an interesting group. Turn with me over to Exodus chapter, uh, I think it's 17. Exodus 17, yep. Exodus 17, we're going to read about who these guys are. In Exodus 17, beginning in verse 8, it says, Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So, um, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let his ha- down his hands, Amalek prevailed. Verse 12, but Moses' hands became weary So they took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Verse 13, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, called his name, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, 
the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now that last line there just kind of surprises me. That God would say, you know what? Uh, The Lord has sworn and will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You know, throughout the scripture, you see these Amalekites kind of popping in and popping out. And in a sense, God basically is telling us that they, they are, in a sense, representing something or someone that wants to separate you from the love of God, wants to separate you from the purpose of God within your heart and within your life. In fact, even with King Saul, um, when King Saul was, you know, there on the throne, Samuel came and said, hey, God said, go utterly destroy the Amalekites. Don't spare, don't save, but kill everything and everyone. And Saul goes out, but rather than obeying what God had said, he saved the best. He saved the best of the the flocks and the herds, and he saved the king alive. In a sense, he did not do what God commanded. And because of that, in a sense, he utterly, you know, he he, um, lost the kingdom. Samuel said, hey, you're going to lose your kingdom because you've not walked in obedience. And yet, interesting enough, when you look at Saul's life at the end of his life, He's standing there. He's dying. The Philistines are coming upon him. There's a guy standing next to him. He says, who are you? He says, take a sword and kill me because I've been wounded and, and I don't want them to take me. And he tells him, I'm an Amalekite. And then he killed Saul. And in a sense, the scripture would speak of those things. Paul would say that we are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We're to kill those things. We're not to allow them to live. Those things that want to separate us from God. We're to mortify those things. And yet if we don't walk in obedience to those things, like we have in the example of Saul, those things will come back around and take our lives. That's their whole purpose of, of doing, of destroying us. But we see this, and again, that's what I love, you know, there in Romans 7, where Paul talks about there's a battle of the flesh and a battle of the spirit, this war that's going on, and yet, you know, God would say, hey, from generation to generation, in a sense, so I don't look at it just as a people group, but really uh, something that is used by the enemy to separate us from the love of God, or to try to, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God, but to try to get us out of God's purpose and plan and his will for us within our own hearts and our lives. And yet, as we continue on the story, verse 4, back in um, Samuel 30, it said, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices. They wept until they had no more power to weep. And, and David's two wives, Ahoniam and Je- the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his son and for his daughter. So all of a sudden these guys are sitting here and they kind of turn in a sense uh, on David. They're kind of looking around like we just lost absolutely everything. We've lost our wives. We lost our kids. We've lost everything. Our city has been burned with fire. We got to blame somebody. It's David. David, you're the one that led us here. You're the one that brought us here. And so we're, we're kind of coming after you. You know, People, church, um, one thing that I'd like to share, I remember when I first went full-time into ministry, um, a pastor kind of shared with me, he said, you know what, Pat, it's one thing when you go full-time ministry or you're becoming a pastor, uh, you have a bullseye. 
Uh, you actually have a few of them. But the one on the front where you're out, it's, it's one thing to get arrows from the enemy. It's one thing to get enemies from the world. It's one thing to get enemies from people out there. But he said, the ones that really hurt are the ones that come from behind, from the people you're trying to love and protect and to kind of watch over. He said, those are kind of the painful ones. In fact, David even said that. David said, man, if it was an enemy, he said, man, that I could handle. But it was, it was someone I went to church with, someone I went to council with, someone I took sweet counsel of the Lord with. Man, and that's just devastating. And sometimes it's, <laughs> we can have somebody from that we love and care about in a sense, turn on us. And David, these guys, in a sense, do that to David. But then something happens. Again, I believe David has spent the last year and a half kind of in the enemy's camp, um, going in the wrong direction, kind of distanced from God, putting himself in that place where he's kind of lying and deceiving just to live. And yet something happens, and we're going to read that at the end of this verse. End of verse 6, and it says this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And again, this is where we see kind of a change that happens within David's life. Because here's the thing. We can all fall into that place, uh, even myself, where I can drift. Where I can kind of like, okay, Lord, I'm growing tired. I'm growing weary. And, and you kind of want to go and retreat. And rather than drawing near to the Lord, you, you kind of move further away. And then you end up in places maybe you shouldn't end up. You end up like David doing the lying and the deceiving thing. You, you kind of like turn in like in Psalm 77. The psalmist said this. He cries to the Lord. He says, will the Lord cast off forever? It says, will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Have you ever thought like that? God, where are you, man? I don't even believe you exist. I don't even believe you're here. That's where the psalmist in Psalm 77 really went to as he's crying out to God. It's like, God, I'm not sure, man. It seems like you just shut heaven up and you're no longer communicating. You're no longer gracious. You're no longer good but then he goes on to say he said i said this is my anguish but i will remember the years of the right hand of the most high you know when the world seems to be crashing around when things seem to be going uh places and we feel like there is no place to turn uh, man that's when we need to remember what god has done that's when we need to, to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And this is where David, I think, again, the turning point of stopping, and he's going to strengthen himself in the Lord. He, he, he's been wandering. He's been drifting. He's been discouraged. He's been weary. He's grown tired. And now it's time to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And maybe for yourself, you find yourself in that place. May I say, as we look at the life of David, this is where it begins. It begins by strengthening yourself in the Lord. Asking God to come in and fill your heart and life, give you that peace that passes all your own understanding. In a sense, that means, you know, I don't understand what's going on, but God, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to strengthen myself in you. 
Then going on, verse 7, it says, Then David said to Abathar the priest, Elimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And again, you know what? Uh, Like David, the first step is to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. The second step is, is to seek him to seek him. The Bible says if we seek him, we'll find him. If we knock, he will answer. You know, if we um, ask him to open, if things are closed and we ask him to open, he will open those things to us and to our hearts and to our lives. That's what God does. David speaks, um, David speaks to God. God speaks back to David. He speaks to him a promise. David acts upon the promise and God does an incredible work in David's heart. In David's life, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're discouraged, again, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, and then we seek him. We look to him. Continuing on, verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men uh, who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor, where those who stayed were left behind. But David pursued he and the 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezor. And then we have, see what we, the picture we have here, the 600 guys, they're going after them. They're running, they're running hard. They want to go catch them. And they finally come to this brook Bezor and 200 of the guys say, we can't follow. We can't continue on. And so they just, they just stay there. We're going to come back to them in a, in a little bit. Verse 10, it says, then David, then they found an Egyptian in the field. They brought him to David. They gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water. They gave him a piece of, fi- of cake of figs two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread or drunk no water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, who do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Chesrolites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into their hands of my master and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil which they had taken from the lands of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped 400 young, except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. Uh, David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, son or daughter, spoiler, anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. And David took the flocks and the herds that they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. So they find this guy, they get him to tell him where they are. They go down, they pursue him, they attack him, they flee, and they recover all. And I love it because it tells us twice, David recovered all. God gave David the promise. David acts upon the promise and then is used as a fulfillment of the promise and recovers all. I love the fact that God can take our shortcomings, our failings, and and turn them around and use them for his glory. I love that. You know, the Lord gave a promise to the nation of Israel, and he said, he said, I will restore to you the years the locusts 
has eaten, which is like telling them, you know what? Yeah, you messed up. Yes, you turned your back on the Lord. You did what was right in your own eyes. Even though you dug the pit and jumped in it, he says, I, the Lord, can turn that all around. I can get in and I can restore all the things. And I love the fact that God is a God who loves to restore. I'm so thankful for that. He is an amazing God who can come and take a mess that I've made and turn it around and use it for his kingdom and for his glory. Let's continue on. Verse 21, it says, And David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they had also made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with them. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. And David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hands the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supply. They shall share alike. And so it was from that day forward that he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. You know, in verses 21, 22, and 23, we see three different groups of people. We see three different things happening. And really kind of a place the Lord had brought me in this in looking at these three different things. And we're going to just take a few minutes and look at each one of these groups of people. In verse 21, it says, Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary, they could not follow David, whom they had made stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to to meet the people who were with him. And David came near the people and he greeted them. This first group of people is a group of people who were so weary, they could not follow. They were too tired. They couldn't go on. They couldn't go to, to the battle. They were just tired and they just, they had to stop in a sense. And yet we find that we can be in the very same place. We can grow weary. We can grow tired. We can be in that place where I just can't follow. We can be in that place like Moses that says, man, this burden is just too much. And God, if this is a burden that you want me to bear, then just take me out. We can all find ourselves in that very same place. We can be in that place like the psalmist that says, God, I think that you have forgotten me. We can be there. But I love the fact that David doesn't come to these guys and just say, hey, would you guys just grow up? <laughs> that, that's how I would be. Aren't you thankful I'm not God? Yeah, I'm thankful that I'm not God. I'm thankful you're not God either. I'm, I'm thankful that he's God. But, but that's how I would be. It's like, man, would you just grow up? I oftentimes ask, would you just grow up? Come on, guys, get together. You know, what's, what's going on with you guys? But, but... David doesn't do that. But what do we see David do? We see them, they come to this brook, Bezor, and David says, you guys stay here. You guys need to be here for a bit. And yet what I love about that is, is that the name Bezor means cheerful or fresh. Actually, the root word comes from the word that means glad news, <laughs> good news, refreshing news. So David tells him to stay and rest by this brook Bezor, this cheerful, fresh, good news river and drink. And as they drank, they were refreshed and were revived by the waters that are provided. Did Jesus not say to each and every one of us, 
Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yet I love the fact that here we see, in a sense, the whole gospel message. We see this gospel message because, in a sense, when we are discouraged, when we're too weary to follow, when we're unable to go, when we just think, you know what, I'm just, I am just done, that our King Jesus, our David, our King Jesus, comes to us and he says, hey, you guys need to stop and you need to rest by the brook Bezer. Well, you will be refreshed. It will bring you glad tidings. You need to come and to drink of the living water that I provide so that out of you can flow forth that fountain of living water. And in a sense, this is where David would bring them and ask them to stay, ask them to drink. In fact, he would say to each and every one of us, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. And that is for you, that is for me. If we happen to be in that place where we're tired, we're weary, and, and we're, we're you know, having a hard time even following, he would say, hey, hey, stop. Rest at the Brook Bezor. Would you sit here and, and, and get comfort for your soul? Because that's what God wants to do within your heart and within your life. And I love it. And that's where we come tonight, to the Brook Bezor to the fountain of living water, which is Jesus himself. And he wants us to drink of him, to be refreshed by him. But in verse 22, we see another group of people. It says, Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Hey, because they didn't go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man, wife, children, that they may lead them away and depart. And and again, you know, here you have this group of guys that basically they just say, hey, listen, they didn't go out to battle. They didn't go out and fight. They get nothing. In fact, just give them their wife, their kids, and tell them to leave. Tell them to leave. And in a sense, I remember when I was looking at this and I was studying this, and God was reminding me, of my own heart and how, Pat, you know what? You can kind of be like these guys. Here the Bible says that, that they were worthless. And, and why was it? What was it that made them worthless in a sense? They believed that because of their sacrifice, because of what they did, that they deserved more. They believe because, hey, you know what? We're the, we're the really right ones. We're the ones that are out there doing battle. We're the ones you guys aren't. You guys get nothing. And yet we're the ones that are out there. And because we went out there, because we're doing that, we deserve more. And you know, as I was thinking about it, it's just, it's just oftentimes, I don't know about you, but maybe it's just me that, that I find myself in that place. I look back and I think of, you know, my sacrifice and the things that, that I'm doing. And we all want to be noticed. I remember when me and Mary were pastoring up in the little church up in Whidbey Island in Washington there. And oftentimes I'd be in there because we did everything. I mean, we mowed, we cleaned, we did. And I'd be in there cleaning the bathrooms. I'd clean the toilets. And I would pray, Lord, send somebody by the church right now to see me cleaning the toilets so they could see how spiritual I am or, you know, kind of give me an attaboy for doing such a great work. And you know what? Never happened, you know? And it's always like God's like, we're like, Pat, what, what is, is this about you? It's not about you. It's about me. And yet, why are you wanting to be recognized? And in a sense, we all want to be recognized. We want to get credit for what we do. 
I, I wear this thing on my, my hand right now. It, it's called a Fitbit. It gives me credit for every step I take. I, I want to get credit for every step. In fact, we went out walking the other day and I left it home. I went running back to get it. Why? Because I want to get credit for it. And that's how we are. We want to get credit for the things that we do. And then I set it really low. And then when I, when I reach my goal, it gives me a little fireworks show. So it's like, hey, wow, that's great. But you know what? We want to get credit for the things we do. We want people to recognize And yet when we fall into that place, we oftentimes will look at others and then we have that judgmental attitude towards them that, you know what, hey, wait, no, no, no. They they don't get any of that. They don't, they shouldn't get to to share. They shouldn't get that. You know, when I was over um, working in Ireland recently, um, I was interacting with a couple of different guys who, in a sense, both of them had kind of fallen into a trap where they were both mad at the church, mad at the pastor, mad at the Christians, just kind of mad. I mean, ultimately, they were really mad at God. But because of that and because of their attitude, there was just such a bitterness and things in their own heart because they felt like, you know, they were getting the low end of the deal or whatever the case may be. And and yet I remember when I was sitting there and I was talking to, well, I was actually spent quite a bit of time with both of them. But the one guy that I was sitting here talking to, and I'm like, dude, man, you're, ultimately, you're just mad at God. And the pastor said, he says, like, Pat, it's like he chases people away from the church because he's so bitter and so frustrated and so angry with everyone. And there's just no joy, and there's no hope, there's no peace. And yet it was, I remember just, come on, dude. Man, you're, you're mad at God, and that's not a healthy thing for you and for where you're at in your life. But because of where he remains to this day, he is useless in ministry. He is worthless in ministry. And yet there's another guy, and he was telling me that for 10 years, he was bitter and mad and frustrated at church and at the pastor and at everyone else. He said, but then one day he kind of had an encounter with God. And God began to speak and minister to his heart, really revealing that it was really he was more mad at God than and he was just making excuses with everyone else. But God began to do that work in his heart and life as he strengthened himself in his Lord, as he sought the Lord, as he allowed God to to, uh, bring him to the, the, the brook Bezor and to drink of the living water. And he was refreshed by the Lord God. And there as he was being refreshed, It's like God started taking and turning and changing his heart and his life. And you know, that guy today had so much joy, so much hope, and is radically useful for the kingdom of God. And again, in a sense, I know for myself, I don't want to be like these guys in verse 22, thinking that, you know what, because of what I do, because of my sacrifice, I deserve more and everyone else should get absolutely nothing. Because then I'm playing the role of the Pharisee. Then I'm allowing bitterness to creep in and I will become useless in the kingdom of God. But we have one more person to look at as we continue on in verse 23. But David said, and I just love this. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered and to our hands the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter, but as his part is, who goes down to battle, so shall his part be, who stays by the supplies. They shall share and share alike. 
So it was from that day forward, he made it a statue and an ordinance for all Israel to this day. Thirdly, we have David. <laughs> and, and David is, is the one who shows the mercy and grace. It tells us there, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. David points them to, guys, this isn't about what we've done. It's been about what he has done. It's about what God has done. He points them to the Lord. It was God who gave us this, gave us everything we had. David, in a sense, he stands up for the weary. He stands up for the discouraged. He stands up for those who could not take another step. Here, David gives the gospel of undeserving grace to men who didn't deserve it, didn't do anything to earn it, didn't do anything to keep it. And yet David says, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we are going to share and share alike. I love that. The gospel of undeserving grace. These guys in the story, they stay, they couldn't go on. But yet David says, hey, stay here by the brook, or would you drink? Would you be filled and stuff? But yet then they come back and David comes out. And again, I love it because he doesn't speak harshly to them. He greets them. And yet these guys kind of want to go against them. And David says, no, we're not going to do that. When it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not about what we do. It's about what he has already done for us. People, again, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to hang upon the cross. That he would hang and die and bleed for us. To allow us, in a sense, that forgiveness of sin. To allow us to be able to come into that gift of eternal life into his kingdom. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to gain it. I did nothing other than, in a sense, do things to to send me to hell. To send me to everlasting separation from the Father. That's what I deserve is hell and eternal punishment. And yet, because of what God has done for me, I get to receive the gospel of undeserving grace. I just show up. Amen. 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 You know, Isaiah says this. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. I faint. I grow weary. I think in a sense, all of us can be there. We can get discouraged. He never does. He never does. And yet all he asks us to do is to come to him. But he goes on, Isaiah goes on to say, he says, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Listen, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fail. He doesn't even talk about those with gray hair. I mean, he's talking about the youth, man. They're gonna go out and they're, you know, they're, gonna, they're gonna fail and the, the young man's gonna fail, but the older people, you know, they don't have a chance. And that's what I love about our Lord. You know what, though I don't have a chance is that he comes, but he goes on to say, and you guys know the verse, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint and not faint. Church, people, have we grown weary? Are we in that place of discouragement? Are we feeling like we've lost heart? David would say, hey, strengthen yourself in the Lord and then seek me. Allow me to bring you to the brook Bezor where you can drink that living water and refresh your soul this day. For consider him 
who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest ye become weary and discouraged in your soul. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word and the things that you've written here within your word, Lord. God, I pray and ask for any, for all, who might be in that place, Lord, where the burden is just a little too heavy. The burden seemingly is overwhelming. Where we have become discouraged, maybe even from following you, Lord, from seeking you. And maybe we've even allowed ourselves to drift to places that are unhealthy, not right. God, I thank you that you bring us to that place where we can, even tonight, we can strengthen ourselves in you and who you are and what you have done for us. God, that tonight we can seek you. God, tonight we can hear your voice saying, Anyone who would come, let him come and drink of the water that I give. And out of his belly will flow fountains of living water. And God, that we would come to the brook Bezor even tonight and allow you to refresh our souls, our hearts, and our lives. God, we are so desperate we need you. Lord, let us not be like these other men that we read that It was all about them and what they did and thinking because of what they did, they deserve something in your kingdom, Lord. Let us hear the words of David that when it comes to the kingdom of God, we share and share alike. And it's not about what we do, but it's about what you have already done for us. Lord, help us just to simply come to surrender to you tonight, God. Again, coming to Jesus. Lord, because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Lord, let us put those things at your feet and allow you to be the one to carry us through. Father, I also pray that there might be some sitting here tonight who, kind of like Saul, feel like they'd rather just give up. And God, would you speak hope and peace and truth into their hearts and into their minds. Lord, would you remind them that as long as you give us breath, you're not done with us and you want to use us. You have a purpose and a plan for us and for our lives. Lord, and I pray and ask, give us spiritual eyes to see what that would look like. Touch us and strengthen us. Lord, as your word would say, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Lord, help us to be renewed tonight as we look to you, as we call upon your name. You are good and you are gracious. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying, Amen. Let's all stand as we close in song.